0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak you through this word and impact your life for his glory. It's been so good to pray this week in our times of prayer and fasting, so much life in those times, praying for the nations, for the lost. Thank you. Let's keep growing as a praying church. We've got some great prayers, but all of us can keep learning. I keep learning more how to pray. Well, here this morning we begin um, a four-week series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, my title this morning is Introducing the Holy Spirit. But uh, actually, I feel like if you came in today, you will already have heard much about Holy Spirit in our singing, in what has been said Um Gabriel has already given you some theology, Uh, so this isn't really your first introduction. You've already received some, but this is where we're going this morning. And I know this may be familiar for some of us. This may be brand new for some of us. But for all of us, there is room for us to grow in how we walk with Holy Spirit. I want to begin this morning with a picture that I think George is going to put up for us uh, on the screen here. Uh, This is not the Holy Spirit, just to be clear, but I want to, does anybody know who this is a picture of? This is not someone who's part of CLM, um, but anyone know who this is? No. You might know, but you know what I'm doing. He's on the front row putting his hand up. No. Okay, this is a gentleman called William J. Seymour. Now, you may have heard of him. It was in this month of April in 1906 that William J. Seymour, an African-American holiness preacher, started a prayer meeting at 312 Azusa Street in a run-down area of downtown Los Angeles. And they began praying night and day for the Holy Spirit to be poured out afresh. Until And they kept going until the Holy Spirit was poured out on them in such power that it would launch the worldwide Pentecostal and charismatic movements. So and now, over 100 years later, there's something like 580 million charismatic and Pentecostal Christians across the world. Most of them trace their spiritual heritage directly or indirectly back to that prayer meeting in an unglamorous building where William J. Seymour, a humble man, the son of former slaves, gathered people to pray and to ask for Holy Spirit to be poured out on them again in a fresh manner. And the resulting answer has reached to the corners of the globe and impacted hundreds of millions of people. William J. Seymour, he knew that they needed Holy Spirit. He knew that he and his fellow believers needed Holy Spirit. The many people Uh, White and black who flocked to those prayer meetings knew they needed Holy Spirit, and so they asked, and so they prayed until they received an answer to their prayer. Similarly, friends, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can find ourselves sometimes not being exactly sure of who Holy Spirit is. There can, of course, be misconceptions about God the Father and about God the Son, but perhaps there's most misunderstanding about Holy Spirit. But the reality is that everything that's promised to us and paid for in Jesus comes to us through the Holy Spirit. The normal Christian life requires Holy Spirit. And so it helps us if we can understand him and know who he is and how he works, and that helps us then to engage with him. Let me tell you a little bit of my story of being introduced to Holy Spirit. I grew up in a family, some of you may have heard this before, but it remains my story. I was taught about God. I was taught about Jesus. I grew up to know that Jesus had died for me, and it was at the age of four that I first invited Jesus into my life. Of course, my theology was a little bit shaky at four, um, as you might expect, but I soon began to learn some more, and as I grew older, into my teens, I began to learn about God, learn to trust God. In fact, I would say that I loved God. I understood something of God the Father, I understood something of God the Son, but my understanding of Holy Spirit was a lot more patchy. In the setting I was in, I was in an Anglican church, he was sometimes referred to, as he was in one of our songs this morning, as Holy Ghost. That sounds a bit scary. I generally try and keep myself away from ghosts and uh, that's not going to change. My framework of reference, really, there was something called the Apostles' Creed, which is like a statement of beliefs, which we used to read every week. In that, that reminded us that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. It also said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So I was saying these things every week. Sometimes we would say what we called the grace. It's actually a verse from 2 Corinthians, which goes, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all evermore. Amen. I used to say it sincerely. I believed it. I desired it. But I didn't really have a clue what it was talking about. It was between the ages of 17 to 19 that things really began to change for me in this. There was a lady in my church called Rosemary. And she took me, invited me to go to a ladies' prayer breakfast. I think I was probably the youngest person there. And the person speaking at this breakfast, it was in a different church, was uh, Suzette Hatting. Some of you may have heard of her, I'd never heard of her. She worked for many years with Reinhard Bonke, the famous, the late famous evangelist who ministered across the nations of Africa, saw millions of people healed and respond to the gospel. And I remember that breakfast, it was such a significant... Morning, not because of what we ate. I can't remember at all what we ate. I'm sure it was fine. But what I remember is it was the first time that I sensed the presence of God. It's the first time that I was anywhere and I thought, God is in the room here. The presence of the Holy Spirit was there. I could feel God in the room. I'd sung songs earnestly. I'd worshipped earnestly many times. But it was the first time that I felt that God was in the room by His Spirit. And I spent the weeks and the months after that trying to find the particular songs that we'd sung and trying to replicate what I'd I'd experienced that morning because I had sensed for the first time the presence of God, the presence of Holy Spirit. And it felt like what I had been born for, the love, the joy, the peace that was there. I knew I needed Holy Spirit and in the couple of years that followed, I took some tiny steps to, to learn more and experience more of Holy Spirit. I asked this lady Rosemary, like, what do I do uh, to have more? How can I be filled? What about tongues? And she she said to me, Go into your bedroom and just ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit and then wait. And she said, and about speaking in tongues, or well, when you've asked and when you've waited, then just just speak and let it come out. Okay. I went home. Uh, I did what I was told. I was unsure, but I was expectant. I prayed and I waited and I waited and I waited. It felt like about an hour. It was probably about 10 minutes. Not very patient, you see. I wasn't sure how long I was meant to wait for or even what exactly I was expecting. I think I was expecting some sort of manifestation of God's power, and that never really happened in that moment, but I just felt really peaceful. That was my experience. I had a go at speaking in tongues. I made a a couple of strange sounds, but I was so self-conscious and determined that I wasn't going to make anything up because I didn't want anything false. I promptly stopped. I tried a few more times, and then I stopped again. It took me 18 months to properly start speaking in tongues. I got there in the end, but it's not exactly textbook story. This was my introduction to Holy Spirit. Spent almost the last 30 years learning to walk with Holy Spirit, to work with Him, to grow in sensitivity to Him, nurturing His presence in me. I'm still learning in this journey, but the life changing presence and power of Holy Spirit has become indescribably precious to me. And yet, for many years, I had a Christianity that did shape my life. It was genuine, it changed my choices, but without Something of the vibrancy and the passion and the energy and the intimate presence of Holy Spirit with me. Because I didn't understand who He was and I didn't know how to engage with him. No one had introduced me. And perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps you're joining us online today and you've never encountered Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to go to the Bible and see how Jesus introduced Holy Spirit to his disciples. We're going to read from the message and we're going to go to John 14 and read verses 15 to 27. The context here, Jesus, uh, he's with his disciples, he's talking with them and he's preparing them for the fact that he is going to die and he is going to leave. He's been talking about the fact that in his father's house are many rooms. He says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. He's trying to get into their heads that he's not always going to be there in the flesh. And this is what he says, verse 15 from the message. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for, but you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I am alive and you're about to come alive. At that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Why is it that you are about to make yourself plain to us but not to the world? Because a loveless world, said Jesus, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my Father will love him, will move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you're hearing isn't mine, it's the message of the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The Friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole, That's my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. These are the words of Jesus. He's saying, look, I'm not always going to be here in person, but there's going to be another friend. And I'll come back to that language shortly. He's talking to them about his presence and his peace being with them through the Holy Spirit. Even when he is no longer there, in the flesh. This is how Jesus begins to introduce Holy Spirit to his disciples. He knows there's a phase of the mission that we're still in where he isn't there in person. And at that time, his followers are going to need to be filled, empowered. They're going to need the life-changing presence and peace of Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is introducing him to them so that they can recognize him and welcome him. The truth is, these disciples, they'd spent three years with Jesus, trying to work out who he was. They didn't have the script. They didn't have the New Testament like we do. They couldn't read the end of the story. They were there in the middle of this adventure, this redemptive plan of God unfolding in real time before their eyes. They were caught up in it. They were just really getting up with the program that Jesus was here to make the Father visible. They were still understanding that Jesus was God. In fact, if we'd gone to the earlier verses in John chapter 14, you get Philip saying to Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus goes, what do you mean show us the Father? He's like, have you understood nothing? This is what I've been doing for three years. He's like, have you still not got it? I wonder if Jesus thinks, I wonder if they're really ready for this. But he tells them, he goes on, You see, at one level, they'd understood that Jesus was God. They'd seen him do miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, forgive sins. They'd witnessed him teach like no one they'd ever heard before. Peter had got it, and he'd said, you know, you are Christ the Messiah. We believe we know you're the Holy One of God. At one level, they'd understood that Jesus was God. They were, if you like, two in one. But another level they hadn't yet grasped it at all, they were still grappling. And here then, Jesus tries to introduce the disciples to the other part of the picture that they haven't yet seen, that God is in fact three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what we often refer to as the Trinity. It's not the language that Jesus uses, but it's a theological term that explains how God is presented in the Bible. It's a mystery. It can be hard for us to understand and get our heads around this. But, you know, we mustn't always expect God to fit tidily within our human logic. He is much, much bigger than our brains. The best we can use is pictures that can illustrate and help us to understand something of what He is like. We sometimes use the picture of water to try and explain this three in one. H2O, two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom. They always have the same amounts in the same quantities, but it can have a different representation, whether it's steam or whether it's water, liquid, or whether it is a solid as ice. It consists of the same things. It's an element. It's got the same thing, but the representation is different. Of course, it's just a picture, and it's limited. The Father, Son, and Spirit don't interchange between each other. They are each distinct persons. But it helps us to understand and perhaps get beyond what can be a natural blockage to thinking of three in one, the Trinity. This is what Jesus is introducing. He'd begun with himself and the Father, and now he's introducing the third element. He'd said, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. That had been present throughout his ministry. He was trying to show them they were the same life, the same substance, the same essence, the same elements and now he's saying there's actually a third with the same substance the same elements this is the other friend the paraclete as the greek says this is the holy spirit and he's introducing them to him now of course this wouldn't have been the entirely the first introduction for the disciples either they were jewish young men they'd have been grown they'd have grown up with the scriptures they would have been taught that holy spirit the spirit of god was present in the old testament and it's helpful for us to understand this the spirit of god is present in the old testament he does show up before pentecost in fact if you open your bible at genesis 1 the spirit of god is there right at the start we get told the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep but the spirit of god was hovering over the waters here at the beginning Here is the Creator, the Holy Spirit, brooding over the waters. And actually, it's when the Word and the Spirit come together that creation takes place. Throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God gets sporadic mentions. R.T. Kendall puts it like this. He says, The Spirit is the dispenser of all blessings and the source of all strength, courage, culture, and government. So we see him there in creation, and then we find him again at different points. We find him in Exodus when they're making of the tabernacle. Two men, Bezalel and Aholiab. Those are quite hard to say. Um, I won't try and say them again to prove it. They're there in Exodus 31. And the Lord says, I filled them with skill. They were made, so they were skilled craftsmen, so they could uh, make things with stones and, and bronze and silver, so they could outwork what was required in the tabernacle. It says they were also skilled to be able to teach others to do the same. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's one thing to be able to do something, but to have the skills to teach someone else as well, but it was the Spirit that enabled them. In fact, the disciples would have known that throughout the Old Testament, the the pattern that was seen was the Spirit of God filled particular people at particular times for a specific purpose. This is what we see. Not everybody had the Spirit of God, but for specific purposes, the Spirit came to rest on lives. We see it in Numbers 11. The Spirit is on Moses to lead. And actually, the Spirit that's on him gets taken from him and passed on to 70 elders so that they might also carry this mantle to lead. We see through judges as God raises up and calls uh, people to lead that the spirit of God comes on them, Othniel, Samson, Gideon. And then we come to the kings Saul and David, they are anointed and the spirit of God comes on them to lead as kings of Israel. He's there, present in the Old Testament. I think the disciples would also have read the prophets, have read some of the books of Isaiah who talked. Not only were the prophets inspired by the Spirit of God, but some of what they wrote was about the Spirit of God. Isaiah predicted and prophesied many times about the Messiah, the one who would come. And when he did so, he kept saying, actually, it's the Spirit of God that will be on this one. Each time, Isaiah 11, 42, 61, he says things like, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. I will put my spirit on him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, as Isaiah 61 says. The redemptive work of Messiah was going to require the spirit of God. But I don't know how much of this work of Holy Spirit the disciples would have been aware of. You know, sometimes it's hard to see, isn't it, when you're in the middle of something, exactly what is going on right in front of your face. Perhaps you know this, you've seen this in your own life. It's only when you get through something and when you look back at it with a different perspective that you think, oh, I understand now. And I can see that God was there at work all the time in a way that I couldn't see at the time. You know, you and I, we have the benefit of Luke's gospel. I thank Luke because he puts the color in and helps us to understand where the Holy Spirit was present in the ministry of Jesus. And if you read Luke's gospel, it will help you to see Holy Spirit is there, present in the ministry of Jesus. We see him in Luke 1, involved in conception. There in Luke 3, it says the Holy Spirit, when he was baptized, descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Holy Spirit isn't a dove, but somehow he descended in bodily form like a dove. I said again, pictures can help us, but they're always going to be limited. In Luke 4, we get told that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. And then, of course, he comes into the synagogue at Nazareth. He reads Isaiah 61 that begins, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and then says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Holy Spirit present in the ministry of Jesus. If you're familiar with the gospels, then you know all that stuff happened before any disciples were called. They weren't even there when that stuff was going on. They wouldn't have known. I don't know if they realized how much the Spirit of God was leading, directing, empowering what was happening in Jesus' ministry. So now Jesus is here introducing to them this idea of Holy Spirit. He knew he was not going to be there much longer with them in the flesh but knew that also he was going to be poured out on all people in such a way it was going to be different to what the disciples could possibly have understood from their past and from the scriptures. So let me bring us back to these verses that we've read today in John 14. Verse 16, Jesus says this, I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. Jesus introduces Holy Spirit as another friend. Anyone use another friend? Let's consider this word, another friend. It gets translated differently in different versions. The NIV translates it as an advocate. The New King James, a helper. The King James, a comforter. Some versions say counselor. And the message here translates it as friend with a capital F. The Greek word parakletos. It literally means one who comes alongside. One who speaks in our defense. One who is an intercessor or helper. One who encourages and comforts. One who comes alongside. Parakletos. It's a word you only find in the New Testament referring to Jesus and Holy Spirit. Jesus is here saying to them, I have come to come alongside you. I have come to be an advocate and to speak in your defense. I've come to intercede for you and to act on your behalf. I've come to comfort and encourage you and to be your friend. And when I am no longer here in the flesh to do that, then the Father will provide you with another friend, another one who will do all those things, another parakletos who will be all the things that I have been to you. And it's significant, the words that Jesus uses here, as he says, another, friend. He uses a Greek word, alos, which means another that is the same. And you see, there is a New Testament Greek word, heteros, which means another that is different. Jesus doesn't use that word. He's distinctly saying to them, I'm going to send you another, and he's going to be the same. The same stuff. In fact, he goes on, he says in verse 17, you know him already because he's been staying with you. I'm telling you about him, but you'll recognize him. You actually know him already. And you know him already because if you've been with Jesus, he is the same. I can't help but think at this point, maybe the disciples were scratching their heads. It's like, Jesus, is this a riddle? It's not a riddle. It's just the wonder Of the three in one god who came in the flesh and then has given his spirit jesus is introducing holy spirit the third person of the three in one god he comes from the baseline that jesus and the father are one but now he introduces this other person in the trinity another friend not different But the same the same life the same substance the same essence the same elements he says he's going to be just like me so much like me you know him already and you'll recognize him it's not uncommon for us as christians to carry a misconception about holy spirit that he's somehow less than the father or less than the son or subordinate or maybe a servant to them or maybe he's some sort of indiscriminate power or force, but Jesus makes it clear here that Holy Spirit is a person, just as Jesus is a person. He is another parakletos. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we get told that he has feelings, that he has a will, he has a mind, he is a person. He is another friend of the same kind. Because of this common misconception, actually, in the early church, the councils as they grappled with articulating orthodox doctrine, the Council of Constantinople in AD 381 officially stated that the Holy Spirit is equally co-substantial and eternal with the Father and the Son. It means he consists of the same stuff, the same substance, the same essence, the same character, the same life. He is indeed another friend of the same kind. This is the gift we've been given, friends. I wonder if I can invite the band to come. See, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit this, another friend, the same kind, the same substance, the same character, the same power, but one big difference. Because the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out in a way that was fundamentally different. See, Jesus had been on earth and he had been with them. The truth was sometimes he was with them, but sometimes he was somewhere else and wasn't with them. But when another friend, the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit would come, God was going to be in them, not just with them or with them sometimes, but in them and Holy Spirit was gonna be poured out on all believers, not just particular people at particular times for a specific purpose, but on all believers. So Jesus could not just be with them, but be in them. Jesus takes it a stage further. Verse 20 says, at that moment, the moment when Holy Spirit comes, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. The disciples and us are somehow through the Holy Spirit brought into this three-in-one mystery that is Father, Son, and Spirit. We are brought into it. Jesus says these amazing words, I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. We have been brought in, not just with Christ, but in Christ. I cannot helpfully explain that to you. It is a mystery. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone in those verses. He says, you're always going to have someone with you, someone who will connect you to the Father, someone who will remind you of the things that I've said, someone who will lead you into truth. If you're not sure if something's true, ask Holy Spirit. He'll lead you into all truth. He says, you're not going to be abandoned. I'm not going to leave you bereft. You're going to know peace, and you're going to know my presence. I'm in my Father. You'll be in me, and I'll be in you. The truth is, when we look through the New Testament, we continue to see the Spirit of God at work. Additional to what Jesus shared in that first conversation, we see in and through the new, the, the new Christians, we begin to get a better picture of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We'll learn some more in the coming weeks about what that can look like. But as you read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, the letters of the New Testament, we find the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. He who was present in the Old Testament, he who was present in the ministry of Jesus was gonna be and is present in the life of every believer. Present in you and me to help us to share Jesus, to enable us to believe. To make us children of god to lead us to help us to pray to bring freedom to make us more like jesus to give gifts and graces to serve the church friends we need him we need him to be with us we need him to be in us to bring us into jesus and to bring him into us of course later on the disciples were told to go and to wait to receive holy spirit at that first outpouring But ever since then, followers of Jesus have been being introduced to Holy Spirit. Some in waiting meetings, some in all-night prayer meetings, like that one in Azusa Street with William J. Seymour, some alone in their bedroom, some on Alpha Holy Spirit days like there was here yesterday, and some in church services like this. But so often he waits for us to invite him in to say holy spirit would you come i want you i want more of you he will wait, he waits for us to welcome him so that simply where we're going to conclude this morning is an opportunity to welcome holy spirit whether it's a first time for you or whether you've done this many many times i'm going to invite us to stand and simply invite holy spirit to fill us afresh if you're joining online why not respond where you are and stand? Welcome, Holy Spirit. Perhaps you might just say that to him. Come, Holy Spirit. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. Even though we don't fully get our head around how a three in one God works. We know the reality in our lives and we thank you for giving your spirit to be in us so that all that we see and know of jesus christ and recognize as one who walked in the flesh as we do that you've come and made your home in our hearts through your holy spirit and we are astonished at your generosity we thank you holy spirit that you would make a dwelling place of our lives And we come to welcome you, whether for the first time or whether we've done it many times, we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me afresh? Would you come and fill every one of us afresh? Would you keep growing us into a building in which you live by your Spirit? We welcome you. Spirit of the living God, increase our capacity to host you and house you and work through us, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen.